Day one of the recent Myeloma 2017 meeting in Edinburgh, UK included fantastic immunotherapy advances, an exciting new multiple myeloma subtype, discussion of liquid biopsies, and promising amyloidosis updates. In this podcast, the highlights from day one of the meeting are discussed by Dr. Keith Stewart and Dr. Leif Bergsegel and Professor Gareth Morgan. Hello. My name is Dr. Keith Stewart. I'm here in Edinburgh at our Myeloma 2017 meeting. We've just finished our first day of sessions. I'm joined by Dr. and Professor Gareth Morgan from the University of Arkansas in Little Rock, United States, and by Professor Leif Bergsegel, a colleague of mine at the Mayo Clinic. And we're just going to do a quick recap of what we've been discussing today. And perhaps I'll start by um, asking you both what the highlight of the day for, was for you at the meeting. And maybe Gareth, you could start. So I, I think for me, really the um, CAR-T treatment, all in, all in one place, and the role of CAR-Ts manipulating the immune system and using bispecific antibodies to fix the immune system, or T-cells specifically, to the malignant cells, and how it looks really exciting for the next few years that CAR-Ts really are going to be effective clinically. They're really going to bring patient benefit. And we have another approach to do it, which are these bispecific antibodies. So one of that combination of therapies is, is, is going to work out, one or more of them, actually. So I, I think it's very exciting for patients. There was a discussion about CAR-Ts, but also about things called bites and bispecifics. What did you take away from that? Is the target the important thing, or do you think the uh, delivery system is the important thing? So the target's important, and so there was discussion of um, CD38, um, BCMA, SLAMF7, all this potential targets. Um, I think the target is going to be important, but the delivery system and the practicality of delivery, when you know an antibody, uh, CAR-T was approved today for um, B-cell lymphoma, $375,000, the previous one, $500,000. So these advances are, are going to come at a, at a price and there'll be an issue around which population and where do we use them. Leifa, uh, what, what was your... Yeah, well, I would second to Gareth. I think the CAR T cells were really exciting. And in fact, in his presentation this morning, Gareth gave a suggestion of places where we might introduce these things, if we can identify the right patients, the patients that have really high risk disease, and it's clear that they're not benefiting from what we're doing today, maybe very soon in the future, we'll be able to introduce these new therapies. In particular, Gareth mentioned patients who had uh, lost all function of a gene called P53, uh, as doing very poorly, and where we might think about introducing these early. So I was very taken with uh, Professor Einsela's presentation because he showed for the first time, to me at least, that it wasn't just CAR T-cell therapy that could work, but it could also be uh, with these very small antibodies we call bites. And he showed at least three patients in their trial that responded. What is your uh, thinking about the success rate we're going to see with those? So I, I think it's going to be a, a big old fight be, between them. They target the same antigens. Um, and one is somewhat easier to produce and get to patients than the other, which involves you know, a factory biologically modifying stem cells or biologically modifying um, T cells, and then introducing them back into the patient. 
the use of a, a retrovirus, lentivirus to modify the cells. We heard from a German group where they were using sleeping beauty approaches, which is a great name. And somehow or other, they were managing to use sleeping beauty to modify the T cells to recognize the tumor cells. And um, although it sounds futuristic, it's actually really quite a safe and valid approach, I, I would say, that would do for the, um, the regulatory. Yeah. Yeah. I was quite taken with the idea of combining different immunotherapies. So there was talk about combining them with daratumumab, which activates T cells, apparently. Uh, with oncolytic viruses, with uh, checkpoint inhibitors, what 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 was your takeaway? Did yeah, you no, I, yeah, no, I I think they're they it's kind of encouraging in the fact that they haven't seen very much resistance or relapse so far to CAR T cells, but there's anecdotal evidence in other tumors that where they could use a checkpoint inhibitor to reestablish uh, sensitivity, but to wake up the T cells that may have fallen asleep. So I think there's a lot of promise for that. We talked a lot about genomics today as well, and of course you're both uh, world experts in this. What, uh, what, what, was your, um, what did you walk away with today that was new? We, in fact, let me, let, me, uh, prime the, let me ask the question, lead the witness. Uh, we, talked about, uh, we talked about how in uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma there's a phenomenon called double hit lymphoma that is treated quite differently than a, a lymphoma that doesn't have that double genomic hit. And we, we talked today about whether that might exist in myeloma and if we should start calling it that. So do you want to comment? Well, I should say it was your idea to, to kind of uh, coin the double, double hit thing, which I think is a, a really good um, description of it. And it fits with what the terminology is in uh, large cell lymphomas. So a double hit myeloma may involve biallelic inactivation of P53 and amplification of uh, the locus CKS1B uh, occupies on 1Q21. And the combination of that, you can define a population of 6% of the total of myeloma that has an absolutely dire outcome. And I think you could even think of going to regulators with this kind of idea. It uh, works in a test and validation cohort. And you know, I, I think it's really something that I, I felt the room support, supported and, and thought was a, a yeah, good, good, about good, good And we're not really tested for really it today is the problem, right? We, we, it's still in the research domain. But the testing is becoming available now clinically. Yeah, but as all of the academic centres have their own diagnostic sequencing panels, and it's basically an adaptation of... Um, that type of technology that's freely available and we all know how to use, that I, I think really would um, allow us to get something that could take 10 years to go from the relapsed refractory setting to this maybe 10% of newly diagnosed patients that would really benefit from it. And a molecular diagnostic for the first time would allow us to shortcut that 10 years and get it to people up front where they really need it. It seems like so long ago, but we started the day with what I thought was one of the most exciting sessions, which was the concept of uh, not using bone marrow testing in myeloma, but using the peripheral blood or liquid biopsy uh, to at least eradicate bone marrow after the first diagnostic sample. I, I was very taken with that and thought it was very exciting. So Leif, tell us what, what we learned. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because uh, multiple myeloma is called multiple myeloma because there's multiple bone marrow tumors spread throughout the body. However, typically when we do the diagnosis, we take the sample from the iliac crest 
and it doesn't necessarily represent all the sites of the disease elsewhere. However, if we look at the circulating tumor DNA or the circulating tumor cells, then we, get an, we can get a picture of what's going on everywhere in the body and I think maybe capture variants that are, are poor prognosis and know about them earlier. So it, and it seems very feasible. Um, it may miss, it, it's probably not good for measuring minimal levels of disease, but for following disease and particularly following bad disease variants, I think there's a lot of us. Gath, you maybe take a bit more convincing, I suspect. <laughs> No, no, I thought Jens, uh, Jens Law gave a, a great talk. I think the technology is um, very convincing. I, I think it, again, is translatable to panels in, in everybody's hands. Um, I think, though, it needs to be used in the context of an imaging modality as well. Um, you know, currently, we put needles into disease sites to assess what's going on there. But I think if you used um, the peripheral blood wisely, with imaging, you might have a universally applicable um, whole body approach to assessing the molecular makeup of, of myeloma. I'm, and I, I'm, I'm gonna completely learn on board more about imaging that. tomorrow at this meeting. Um, I did, I did yeah, want to close with um, just a comment on amyloidosis because I thought we had an exceptional uh, speaker on amyloidosis today. Did you like the picture he showed the with, of the macrophages eating the amyloid fibrils? It was great. It was the video. So what uh, Dr. Wakalaker actually did is give us a 20-minute um, tour de force on all of the exciting things that are happening in amyloidosis from treatments to imaging to uh, completely novel therapies, and I, I didn't want to close without mentioning that. So today we've heard that bone marrows may become less common. We can use peripheral blood testing. We learned that there are fantastic advances in immunotherapies, particularly with CAR T-cells, which are working at a very high frequency in myeloma patients. And we learned that our experience and knowledge of genomics is maturing, and that we are now in a position, we think, to define a completely uh, distinct group of myeloma patients that need different therapies. I hope you've enjoyed listening to us, and we'll uh, see you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. To be the first to hear about further Hemonc updates, including upcoming content from ASH 2017. Visit us at vjhemonk.com and subscribe to our e-alerts. And let us know what you think on Twitter at vjhemonk.